from One World Trade Center in Manhattan, overlooking dozens of golf courses that will never have us as members, this is the Golf Digest Podcast. Welcome back to the Golf Digest Podcast. I'm Alex Myers, and today we have a special guest, Florian Fritsch. If you don't know who Florian is, he is a European tour player who just retained his card for next year. And the most amazing part about this is he doesn't fly to any events. He only drives. Obviously, that limits his schedule. He only played 12 events this year, yet he still earned his card. So we're very happy to have Florian on from Germany. Please have a listen. Welcome back to the Golf Digest podcast. I'm Alex Myers, and today I'm excited to be joined by Florian Fritsch, a European tour player who is joining us from Germany, and I think this is our first international podcast. So, Florian, <laughs> welcome onto the show. Thanks for joining us. Oh, definitely. Alex, thank you very much for having me. You got it. Um, now, obviously, congratulations are in order. You uh, secured your European tour card for next year. I'd Actually, I should say you kept your European tour card for, for next year. Uh, what, what was the biggest difference for you this year um, having such a successful year? Um, I've been playing quite all right all year, you know, Alex. I've I've, I've usually got into the weekend, um, the first half of the season, but I never really had a good Saturday or Sunday. So that that doesn't really mm-hmm. help a, help a lot if you get washed down the tableau on the weekend. So um, in the second half, I was doing a lot better on the moving day and on the final day. And I guess when you have a couple of top ten finishes um, with the money that's very top heavy, right? And and finishing good away up in the in the rankings on. In the right tournaments that have or that offer a lot of points, it helps you to move up the rankings, and that's what happened to me towards the end of the season. So, um, I guess I, I sparked at the right time. Yeah. Now, uh, I know you finished tied for seventh, I think, at the Alfred Dunhill Links. Was that? Would you say was that the highlight of the year to kind of finish that high at at, at the old course? Oh yeah, definitely. I played well there last year. I played in the final round with Torbjorn Olesen. And, oh wow. Uh, yeah, I finished 19th eventually. So, uh, but I did want to force some of Michael Ballack, one of the soccer players over here in wow. Europe. So that was really nice. So I had really good memories to that tournament, and I got an invite. And um, it always makes me feel kind of proud being able to support the invite by playing well. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess I've done all right. I played alongside Martin Kamel in the final round and his dad. And um, we had a good time, and um, you know, so I, I was able to do a little bit better than last year. But I think what really sparked the entire second half of my season was um, my seventh, my also my seventh place finish in in Can Montana, a couple of weeks before that. Um, I was technically nowhere before that tournament mm-hmm. on any of these rankings, you know, hmm. neither on the European Tour nor on the Challenge Tour, which is like the European part of. Or the European version of of the web.com um, web.com tour. Right. Thanks, and um, so I made the decision to just um, go all in on the second half and play the rest of my season on my European um, schedule, or at least what I could play. Mm-hmm. And um, I finished seventh there, and that really finally put me into some type of um, all right. I've got a challenge to card for the next year. I'm feeling a bit better about myself. I got it done on the weekend. Now let's see what we can do towards the end of the season. And mm-hmm. that's that's really what it what it what it got going what now you mentioned martin keimer uh i wonder what, what is your relationship with some of these other german players obviously i guess bernhard langer might have been a, a idol of yours growing up as well what 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 relationship have you had with some of those big name german guys oh yeah definitely i mean bernhard langer yes he i mean he's been like our um i guess hero for all these years mm-hmm. now we 
Um, we had a few come out after him, but none really reached that level that he achieved to um, to reach. But obviously, that is a really high level. I mean, yeah. if everybody goes out and says, uh, my benchmark is two major victories, multiple Ryder Cups, and I don't know, 100 and more victories on right. the international schedule. That is quite a high one. Um, but yeah, I got to play with him in 2009. That was the first time I, I uh, really met him and played with him mm -hmm. in, in a tournament. And I, I just remember I stood in that first team. I didn't know how to take the club back. <laughs> and <laughs> that was definitely very special. And um, we all knew that he was uh, quite reserved. And um, But he wasn't as reserved as I thought. He actually ended up talking to me quite a bit during the round. And he was very open to my questions and my thoughts. And, mm -hmm. Um, that was very inspiring. He also gave me his email. So we had a little bit of email contact after that. He's right. been helping me out every now and then. So very that cool. is really cool. Now very with cool. Martin Keimer, mm -hmm. I spent technically all of my amateur life in our national squad with him mm -hmm. um, from 2002 until 2005. That's when we part ways because he decided to turn professional and I decided to go to college in the States. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's where we kind of part. And um, he obviously... Um, did quite a ride ever since then. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I guess it, I, I decided to turn pressure professional along to, um, a little bit later in mm -hmm. 2009 after I came back from the States. And um, I guess we've been playing on uh, different tours and obviously different levels of, of these tours. So we haven't really met that much in between. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's also... We, we're just different people off the golf course. We mm -hmm. never really clicked that much off the golf course. Mm. We always played together when we did like team competitions, like uh, European team championships. We always played foursomes together because we clicked quite well on the golf course mm -hmm. with our games, um, but not but not really off the golf course. So it wasn't like we we kept in a lot of um, contact after um, gotcha. after 2005. So, but it was nice to see each other again. I mean, we reminiscing about the old times and everything and instead has always been very supportive of my career mm -hmm. so um i feel like i have a i have a good relationship with all these guys out there but it's not like we're we're, we're having a great group um atmosphere because we're not that many you know we're mm -hmm. not that many out there so you have Marcel cm um you used to have bernard lange you got martin keimer alex Jaker in the states mm -hmm. so it's not like you can really have like a group develop over these years but right. i think in the next few years with alex knapp and bernd Rittermer already um pretty much graduating from the challenge tour i think there's a good chance of maybe getting a good group of germans on, right. on the european tour now we'll look at we'll look out for that do you have any uh you, from growing up with martin any any kind of childhood stories uh funny stuff that you saw happen with him or something we don't know <laughs> about or Anything well, he was, always the, he was always the guy ready to leave the tournament. It was <laughs> impressive. It was almost like he always expected to either miss his tee time, miss the cut, or lose in a match play or whatever. He was always, <laughs> he was always ready to go. And, um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, when we always think about the mental game and stuff and to stay positive and right. think about winning and dream about winning, he always did the opposite <laughs> I felt like, you know, judging by, by that scenario. Wow. So that would probably be a funny story that, that I think quite amusing. That is, that is. Um, now, back to your season, uh, what people may or may not know, what's so remarkable about it is that you retained your tour card despite only playing in 12 events on the European mm -hmm. tour. And now that is because you have a fear of flying and you only drive to events. So I, I, know, I know you wrote about this on a blog post, but... What was this? Uh, there was a flight, I think you said in, in 2005 or six. Or what happened that kind of 
got you down that path? Well, it was a flight with my national team to the European Individual Championships in, in the north of Italy. And mm -hmm. it was just a little one-hour flight, so nothing special, from Frankfurt to Turin. Okay. And um, before that, I flew without any problems. I spent three years at the David Ledbetter Golf Academy in Bradenton, Florida. Wow. Um, for, from 98 till 2001. Then I came back in Germany, and now I was flying over the place um, as part of the of the German national team. And, um, and suddenly it started rocking as hard as it ever had in, in a, in a plane. So mm -hmm. that was like the first time I really got, um, um, I guess I really gained any perception of about such type of, um, situation. Mm -hmm. And, um, my national coach sat next to me and I asked him, so what's going to happen if anything happens? And he goes, well, if anything happens, it'll be over quite quickly. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's not what you wanted so that, to hear. <laughs> well, that was a rather blunt answer. I yeah. thought, and, um, you know, instead of not worrying about anything anymore, I kept thinking about it. So right. it uh, developed over the years. It wasn't like there was a fear from that moment on in full okay. force. It just kind of like developed over time from that moment on. Mm -hmm. And it went from like, I guess, awareness to interest to discomfort to skepticism to dislike um, to fear and to whatever you want to call it now. Mm -hmm. And um that took about four or five years. I flew in between that time too, because mm -hmm. um, I spent three years in South Carolina at uni. And um, but in 2010, at the beginning of 2010, in my second year as a professional, um, I was flying from from Munich to Zurich, and then I was to fly from Zurich down to Nairobi in Kenya for a challenge tour event. Mm. And and um, I just had a really bad flight. I mean, nothing. It was just a really standard flight from Munich to Zurich, but um, I, I, I just felt really bad during that flight. And mm -hmm. I, so I stood in Zurich Airport and I was like, okay, if I get onto this flight, I have to get onto the flight again to get back home because I ain't coming home on, 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 in a right. car on a train from Kenya. Right. Um, and I was like, actually, no, that's too much. That's just too much for me to handle. I'm not going to do this. Hmm. So I decided to, um, uh, so I decided in that very moment to, to tell, um, the agent or the, the the flight company agent to um, unload my my baggage and I got onto a train from Zurich and I went home to Heidelberg, which in hindsight was was a really good thing because in that week where I was supposed to be in Kenya, I met my wife That's that incredible. I'm married to today. That's amazing! Wow, how'd that happen? Where'd you meet her? Um, so I got back to Heidelberg and um, I called a friend of mine to pick me up from from the train station and he's a golf coach in a at the Heidelberg Golf Club, and um, um, he just asked me, so what are you up to now? And I'm like, oh, no, I was supposed to play golf this week, so I've had nothing <laughs> planned here in Germany. So yeah. I'm just I'm just going to tag around with you from now on. And he said, okay, that's fine. I'm, I'm on my way out to the golf course anyway. Um, but on the way, I'm passing the university hospital because I'm part of a experiment revolving around um, – um, consequences for the body um, when swinging with like a long club and a short club huh. and I was like okay that's fine I'll, I'll tag along and um, the, the the group leader of that experiment is now my brother-in-law does his doctorate wow. that experiment was his doctorate experiment and his sister my now wife um, is a physiotherapist and she was helping him because her job was to kind of like measure all the like body dimensions uh -huh. um, for for the appropriate club for the testing because mm -hmm. they they had like different lengths. Uh, I'm not gonna get into detail now, like 
that would never end in. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that's and and this this friend of mine, he was so tall that the club would have been so big that the room wasn't big enough. Mm. So they are now one um, professional golfer short um, of what they actually needed for this um, experiment to conclude. And I just volunteered. I said, okay, if he's <laughs> if he can't swing, I mean, you know, I'm I'm a professional golfer. I've got I've got I've got a day off. So. Yeah. <laughs> I volunteered, and so we, um, so I eventually met her, and um, and it just carried on from there. <laughs> that is amazing. That is an incredible story. So, right, so you 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 can't get on the flight. You end up meeting your wife, um, and now you, but you kind of come to the conclusion that you're not going to be able to play pro golf, right? If you can't fly, mm-hmm. so you you kind of quit for a little bit, and you took a. You said you took a regular job. What what were you working as that year? Um, I took a job at the Heidelberg Golf Club as like okay. a, I don't know what you want to call it. I, like, I was like the guy for everything. Gotcha. It's like, we've got a broken pipe. That's fine. I'll do it. Oh, like, wow. We need somebody to, to do this coaching. I'm like, okay, that's okay. fine. I'll do it. And I was just kind of like parked there. Uh-huh. Um, and But I still had like some conditional status on, on the challenge in the European tour mm-hmm. from 2009 for having finished, I think, in the top 40 of the challenge tour rankings. And I decided, you know, I'm not going to throw this away. I'm going to play a few tournaments because mm-hmm. I still kind of enjoy it. And um, so I went to those tournaments and I started liking it again. And I was like, well, you know, maybe maybe this is possible mm-hmm. um, to play and to compete and to be on that level and make a living um, with the circumstances that I'm given. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kept playing a few more tournaments and I had about three tournaments left and I had to make 10,000 euros or 10,000 bucks in those three events to um, finance Q school. And I made it on the dime. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I made it on the dime. And so I go to Q school, totally unprepared, haven't really practiced at all, all season, just mm-hmm. playing a few tournaments. And I take the sixth card and I'm like, so I'm standing there after the sixth day and I'm like, is this game really so messed up? It's like you train all your life, you know, you, you yeah. overcome yourself on a daily basis to go out there to train and practice and do all what, all the things that you think you need to do in order to become good and you don't make it and then you quit for a year and you yeah. make it. <laughs> what is this all about? <laughs> That's amazing. That's crazy. So um, your first go round on the European tour, would that was that 2011 then or – that's correct. Yeah, okay. I had a Q score card for 2011. And, um, and yeah, how many I, events did you play in that year? Did you? I played 18. Okay. I played 18. I could have played around 25, but I played 18. Um, I had my wife, who was my girlfriend at that point. Mm-hmm. She um, didn't really like quit her job, but she like paused her job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took her with me as a caddy. Okay. And so we did like the ultimate couple test, I guess. It's like 365 <laughs> days together, even during the job. Right, right. And um, so I get, so we did all right. We never really got into any big fights. And we, we did all right as well <laughs> yeah. as, um, as a team. And um, I mean, she really had to help me out um, getting from tournaments to tournaments when we had to fly in between because I decided at that point, I'm definitely not going to do a long haul flights, but should be okay with short haul flights. Okay. You know, like one or two hours, maybe to Sicily, then across to Malaga, back down to Morocco and stuff. But it got really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And um, I tried to, I tried to deal with it by taking drugs. So I had like medic- medication mm-hmm. uh, given to me, and um, so this is all perfectly official and legal. Right. So okay. I had okay. Medication yeah. given to me. There. Yeah. Um, that were classified as like anesthesia um, medication. 
um, that were tablets and that they were for people who are afraid of like needles before hmm. going into an operation they would take those tablets and they would have like a similar effect as like a a um i guess infused anesthesia would have hmm. and um it's amazing how strong adrenaline is i mean I, I took about two or three of those before the flight and i would be wide awake wow <laughs> just couldn't so, yeah yeah it just it just wouldn't work and um since I figured, okay, I cannot really finance a doctor to come with me every time to put me to sleep. Right. Um, I eventually decided towards the end of the season, okay, I've, I've survived this season. haven't flown a few times, but this is it. I'm definitely not doing this anymore. Hmm. Like, it's over now. So, um, from 2012 on, I never really flew again except for a few times um, in between seasons mm -hmm. um, where I... Um, had a couple therapies, and then I tried to test how I was doing. Then I had um, two or three pilots from different companies offer me to fly in the cockpit with them. Hmm. And I, I done that, and that was quite amazing. I really love it. Like, every now and then when I get in the car, I'm like, I want to turn on this car like they turn on a plane. <laughs> it's really, really cool. <laughs> and um, But it still didn't really help that much. So since the beginning of 2013, I have not flown since. Wow. Like neither testing, trying, or hmm. um, nothing really. I've done, I've done 12 therapies hmm. um, altogether on all kinds of different levels, from hypnosis to a different like rapid eye movement technique to um, classical um, um, psychotherapy mm -hmm. and. All kinds of different things, and nothing really worked. I've done also a uh, fear of flying seminar. Maybe you have that in the states too. You go to an airport, hmm. and it's offered by maybe one or two uh, companies, and it's like a weekend thing. And you get together as a group, and you talk about all kinds of different things that that you're afraid of. Hmm. And that was actually counterproductive. That was an interesting experience. Um, you go there as a person who is sensitive to the issue, right? Right. And then. You sit in a circle with like 10 or 11 of those um, of, of, of people who have similar issues. And then the psychiatrist goes, okay, well, I'll write down all your fears on this blackboard and then we'll discuss it as, as time progresses, right? And so, so I'm sitting there and I'm like, and there are seven points on that blackboard and I'm sitting there listening to everybody's stories. And I'm like, well, point number three is valid. Why wasn't I afraid of that before? Mm. And number five <laughs> is a good one too. <laughs> I'm like, it's even scarier than I thought it was before. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I go there with one problem. I leave with three. Oh, right. And so um, I've, I've, I've tried a couple of things. But, yeah, I'm sorry. I just went on a rant. Sorry, Alex. No, no, I, that's great. I, that makes sense. You, you, your list got even longer. Um, that definitely sounds like that would, that would not work. Um, well, so when you were planning out your schedule for, for this year, um, yeah. you had earned your tour card back. Did you know that these? Well, I, I guess you did. Kind of say you you adjusted uh, midway through the season. You started to play more uh, European tour events strictly. Yeah. But did did you kind of how far in advance do you have to map out your schedule when you know you have to drive to these events? Mm -hmm. um, well, I, I took a look at the schedule and then I take a look at. Um, I I would play between I think on Challenge Tour it's usually around 15 events that I can play going by experience over the past years and the mm -hmm. main tour has always been around 18 events and um, it's 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 actually not 
that difficult in the age of a gazillion applications for ferry companies and mm -hmm. train companies and stuff like that. You just, I guess at the beginning, you just really got to gain experience in terms of uh, what would be the best ferry connection if mm -hmm. I had to go to Scotland. Right. Um, but you get a grip of that quite, quite easily and quite quickly. And so I would say I would probably have to book it not much further in advance than people who travel around the world as, as part of the European tour because mm -hmm. they I mean they, they have to do similar things like I would take a ferry for maybe I don't know 40 hours but right. they would have to fly for 40 hours right so it's kind of tricky for them as well especially if they miss like a connecting flight right um, so I guess it's quite similar hmm. on the other hand though I, I have um, I guess a high degree of freedom so whenever I so whenever I, I miss the cut or if the tournament is being shortened or canceled or whatever, I can just jump in my car and go. Hmm. And they just have to rearrange um, True. Um, flights and stuff. Right. So there's some some easiness to it. Um, but obviously sometimes when you have to go from Spain to Italy or vice versa, it's, it's really annoying because you have to drive around. It's like going from... What would be an example? What do you have in the States where you have to go around to like a bay or golf? I guess it's it's like on a larger scale, it's like having to go from um, Tampa to Mexico City. Okay, right. And you're going around the Gulf. You know, Mexico. instead right. of just flying one and a half hours straight across, right. I have to go all around the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, that is annoying. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like. Well, and there's, there's obviously a lot of events that you just can't. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, the European tour obviously is in Asia and in uh, South Africa and those places. I mean, you, you just kind of cross those off, off the list, right? At the beginning of the year. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So that's, so then it, I got, it, it must put a lot of pressure on you to the events that you actually do plan because you know, you, you only have these limited amounts. I know that the guys who finished one spot below you and above you on the money list, each played in 30 events and you only played in 12. So do you yeah. feel that extra pressure when you do get a chance to tee it up? But well, the thing, not really, because nobody really expects me to be able to have a career um, <laughs> as a golf player anyway. Okay. Um, that has been the story over the years now. Right. I mean, I got onto the, after I started playing again, uh, obviously um, after I quit and I got onto the European tour, everybody was like, how the hell are you going to ever have a chance? Mm -hmm. um, then I dropped down to the pro golf tour in 2013 and they were like, the pro golf tour is like the Hooters tour, I guess. It, it, right. In, in Europe, yeah. we have a system where our third-tier um, tours lead into the Challenge Tour, so they're all connected. Right. The third league and right. the second and, and, and obviously main tour. And, you've won, and like, you've won like four times on that tour, right? Correct? That is correct, yeah. yeah. They were like, you're only playing half the season. How can you ever make it onto the Challenge Tour as one <laughs> of the top five players here? Right. And then I win four times, and I win with a winner's check margin. Wow. And then I get onto the challenge tour, and they were like, okay, now you're definitely reaching your limits. I mean, mm -hmm. you're only playing 15 out of 28, and you're not playing the eight biggest tournaments that we have on our schedule. Hmm. And I end up finishing 12th on the rankings and being promoted to the European tour. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, okay, you now you definitely reach your yeah. There's no way of getting there without the Middle East swing, the South African tournament right. whatsoever. And I actually did lose my cart in 2015, having finished, I think, 120th maybe okay. on a race and, to Dubai. So it's just top, missing out. Right, it's 111. It's all right. yeah. yeah, they get it. Okay. So this year I played on a conditional status. And on a conditional status, playing 
I guess, fewer events than last year and also events that have less money than last year, mm -hmm. I made my card. So Jeez. I guess it is possible. Right. Um, <laughs> so, um, but to come back to your question, um, I, I don't, so, since there's very little comparison and since I have not really anything to lose, there's actually not that much pressure. Right. Um, Actually, I actually kind of enjoy my situation right now because everybody's been doubting, and I and, right. and I guess I proved that there are uh, many roads that lead to Rome. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I don't know. Well, we'll see what the future holds. Let's see what what else uh, sure. can happen. Now, but now that now that you have reached this level, and like you said, you keep kind of proving the doubters wrong. Does it start to creep in your head a little that man, you you kind of wish you could play a full schedule just to see what you could accomplish? Um, the thing is, if now the, when we talk about what you could accomplish, we're talking about potential, probably, right. right? Right. Now, do you define potential by the amount of money that I earn, or by the amount of ranking points that I can earn, or the type of golf that I play? I guess the ranking and the money. <laughs> yeah, the ranking of the money. Yeah. Now, in my mind, that has nothing to do with golf. Gotcha. I can be a great golfer and only play once right. and never make it in the top 50 of the world, but I can still be the best golfer in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, what I'm trying to say is um, reaching my full potential as, as a golfer, mm -hmm. like purely as a golfer, right. has nothing to do with rankings or whatsoever. Right. Um, but you are definitely right when you when you say like, well, you're missing a lot of tournaments, so you're not going to get as much endorsement. You might mm -hmm. not earn as much money. Then you're totally right about that. Mm -hmm. There's nothing I can say. You're totally right. Or the Ryder Cup, um, maybe making the Ryder Cup team. I mean, that'd be it's pretty tough. You you probably need to play a full schedule. Exactly. Yeah. And I would probably need to play a full schedule. Um, but I think on the other hand, as soon as the top guys get their card, mm -hmm. um, or as soon as the top guys have like. Um, I guess planning secure safety for like five or ten years, mm -hmm. or have been top of the rankings for multiple years. What is the first thing that you usually see happening? Maybe they get a little complacent, or no, they start cutting their their schedules. Oh right, yeah, sure, that, right. They don't need to play. In the, yeah, the, well, they yeah. start cutting their schedules. So playing eighteen or twenty events seems to be enough to maybe make it to a, a Ryder Cup team. That's true. That's true. Now, obviously, they're they're playing all the WGCs and the right, majors, and right. they probably have more weight for a captain to pick a player. But let's say I'm just being very theoretically. Mm -hmm. Let's say you have a player who is so good that he wins five out of eighteen events that he plays on the European Tour main tour schedule mm -hmm. with the tournaments. With tournaments like the British Open, um, the Scottish Open, the French, whatever, all the big ones that we have in Europe. Do you think a Steve Stricker or a Darren Clark would not consider that player? No, no, of course they would. Yeah, that'd be well, that'd be enough to do it. I'm sure if you won five times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, so you're right. You could I, do it. You could win a limited amount. Yeah, definitely. So I, I think, I think it is possible, mm -hmm. and, um, and I guess it's, it's, it's right now. What really drives me is just to see what what is possible in this in this situation. Right. Like you said, you keep proving the doubters wrong, you keep reaching different levels. So you're right. That that could be that's the next level to see just how far you can take it. I wonder what would it take uh to get you on a flight again if you qualified for the Masters, for instance, the US Masters yeah. or mm -hmm. the US Open or the would you 
find a way to get back to the States? Um, I would definitely take a look into it. As of right now, mm-hmm. uh, since, I, since I would not fly, I would have a look into the, the, the boats that are mm-hmm. crossing the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I'm aware of, there is a, I think it's the, the, the Queen Mary, the Queen Elizabeth leave, leaving Portsmouth and going into New York. Okay. Um, that, I think that crossing takes about four days. And how long does it take to get to Augusta from New York? Uh, with a drive, you could do it in uh, 20 hours, I guess. It's probably the same drive you just did. You just drove back from Portugal to Germany, right? Right. Yeah, right. I, it would be, it would not be that long, probably. It'd be about the same. Okay, so... so you could do it. If, if, yeah. yeah, so Five if days. I get... Okay, perfect. So if I get so good <laughs> that I compete in the Masters, then I have the luxury of taking two weeks off before the Masters and two weeks off after the Masters. <laughs> okay. So it's... It would definitely be, be be possible in terms of logistics. Okay. Now, if if you held a U.S. Open on the West Coast, mm. uh, West Coast, now that's get tricky. Yeah. That's gonna get tricky. <laughs> then I then that's I right. believe that would be a little bit too much. Right. Um, then I probably wouldn't play. But right. I guess anything on the East Coast in the U.S. should work out. You could make it happen. Okay. Yeah. Well, good. Um, now, what? How did you end up in? Speaking of the South, how did you end up in South Carolina for for college? Um. I hope I don't run my coach into any NCAA oh. <laughs> uh, trouble right now. Um, well, we were playing um, the British boys in in um, in Carnoustie, which is a match play event consisting of 256 um, guys, mm-hmm. um, just purely match play until the end. And um, I think I was just teeing off on the first tee, and the coach, Puggy Blackman, his name is, um, he was on a holiday with his wife, um, staying in the Carnoustie Hotel. Hmm. And I guess he didn't know the tournament was on during that time. He was just staying there. And uh, I guess he, he used, he took a, he made use of that chance and I guess just scouted around. And um, so I stood on that first tee with a friend of mine ready to play a practice round. And he just walked up to me, gave me his business card and gave my friend and me a business card and said, if you guys ever thought about coming to States, States, just give me a call. Okay. And so I was like, okay, that's cool. And um, during my last year, two years later, in my last year as a junior in 2004, I played two events. I played um, the Publix Junior in Doral, um, the junior event, mm-hmm. and I finished third. And a few months later, I played the Optimist International in PGA National in West Palm, I think, mm-hmm. in Florida. I won that. So playing two tournaments, I, f- I became a AJGA All-American Honorable Mention. Okay. And with that, I was technically out there on the market now because I had a bunch of schools trying to recruit me. Right. And I started liking the idea of going back to the States because I really enjoyed my time in Florida. And um, I guess one of the first guys I contacted was Puggy. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I told him I would come over. Um, I understand as, a, as an international, um, it's very. I was also recruited. I guess the, the two schools I was really looking at was Kentucky with JB Holmes, mm-hmm. um, and um, South Carolina. And I told him I understand that for international students, it's twenty-seven thousand bucks <laughs> to go <laughs> to school, and I was like, that's a little much. Um, and so he offered me a full ride, and I, I eventually committed to South Carolina wow. and um, so, so I spent three years at South Carolina studying sport and entertainment management and playing who was in my class I think I had 
Mark Silvers. He actually won the big break once in the States. Oh, okay. All right. He also won on the Canadian tour. And um, I had Mark Anderson. Mm-hmm. I guess keeps moving up and down from the PGA and uh, and uh, Web.com tour. Right. And um, so I played with those guys, and I guess at the, at that time you had Dustin Johnson play for Coastal, mm. and Kevin Kisner, and I actually just saw Matt Avery again mm-hmm. in Bad Griesbach this year, and and he played when I was there too. So it's it's kind of interesting seeing all these people again yeah yeah <laughs> a few, I bet. few years later did, did you get into uh, american sports when you were over here i know obviously in the sec football is kind of king did you did you get into that at all oh man if if <laughs> if the kentucky coach would have just known a little better when i was on a recruiting trip I, well to answer your question yes yeah. i did okay towards the end i guess as soon as you get a grasp of the rules and, and the tactics involved sure. you, you start appreciating it but at the beginning, they all made sure that I came during a um, football match. Okay. So Kentucky, when they recruited me, um, I came over on a weekend where they had a football game. And I just sat in that stadium, and I was so bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, and he was sitting next to me just waiting for my excitement to yeah. spark to be like, oh, yeah, this is great. I want to be part of this. And I just <laughs> sat there. I was like, I just want to get away. Right. And um, But luckily, they still had a soccer match going on that evening that I that I got to watch. And I really enjoyed that. That was cool. Mm-hmm. And um, same thing in South Carolina. Puggy always tried me to wanted me to come over during a football game. But after my experience in Kentucky, I was like, soccer game. I don't care about football. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's if you don't so know what's I, going on, yeah, it's it's pretty tough. So I did get into it, especially towards the end of my career, because it's interesting. As soon as people from like the tennis team, baseball team, football team, as soon as they start graduating and, and leaving school, usually most of them start picking up golf. They all somehow mm-hmm. like and enjoy golf. So it eventually becomes a black market. It's like, dude, I'll give you three tennis rackets for a seven iron. <laughs> A black market. That's amazing with the uh, golf equipment and college. Yeah, with golf exactly, and that's how you start interacting with with, with all these right. other athletes too, and you start, you know, really start developing appreciation for for their sport as well, and then you you watch them and so on, and then you know one thing comes to another, and you get more involved. Sure, I, I meant you mentioned Dustin Johnson. I just wonder um, when you saw him back then as a, coll- a collegiate player, could you have seen? what he's doing now obviously this you know he's the player of the year on the pga tour arguably the best player in the world right now could yeah did, did you see that kind of talent was he clearly the the best guy that you saw out there at, at the time um yeah i mean he was a multiple time all-american mm-hmm. um, at that point and he won i think every second tournament that he played in as a mm-hmm. college player so he was definitely outstanding um to be honest though, i didn't really have that overview or i didn't feel like I was the right person to make any such type of um, 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 judgment. What do you call it? Yeah, judgment yeah. when you predict something. What is oh, the noun prediction. for? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I did. I didn't feel like I was the type of person to make such predictions. Right. And um, so I never really thought about it that much, but mm-hmm. I definitely did recognize him as one of the best players at that time mm-hmm. in college. Uh, yeah. What? Uh, I wonder what was your longest. Back to your your incredible season of driving and playing and all that. <laughs> what was your longest trip that you took this season and what was your most enjoyable trip that you took this season 
Um, definitely the longest one was um, going from um, Portugal back home wow. um, to 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 Germany, I and mean, that was that was two full days. That was probably like twenty or twenty one hours of driving. Mm-hmm. Uh, here are some statistics, though, since <laughs> okay. I know yes. since, since I know people love statistics. Yep. Now I drive around um, thirty five thousand k's a year. That's around. I'd say 22,000 miles. Okay. Now, since I drive highway most of the times, so I usually have a lot higher speed average mm-hmm. than people who commute with the same amount of um, mileage a year. Good point. Yep. So in the end, I spend less time in a car than a person who commutes at a similar range. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Because when you wrote that in the blog, I think you did say something about 25,000 miles. And that, that's a little high. But there are definitely people, I think the average over here is like 15,000 miles. Yeah. So, yeah. But you're not factoring in, you also take a lot of ferries, and do you take some trains mixed in there too? Yeah, definitely. And, yeah. and, I, and I really enjoy that. It really mixes mm-hmm. it up a little bit. I mean, if I could, if I had to drive 1,000 miles and could just do like half half of it by car and then the other half with, with a boat, mm-hmm. um, I really started to, to enjoy the, those ferry rides. Um I, th- I, I kind of like that solitude a little bit. I feel like mm-hmm. you, we're, I am being distracted so much on a daily um, basis by commercials, my kids, or whatever, all mm-hmm. kinds of things. You know, you get a lot of uh, stimulus all over the place on a daily basis. And I really liked it because you're just really confined in your little own space. And that gives me, I know this sounds very esoterical, but um, I really enjoy that type of. Mm-hmm. type of time where you can like start thinking about yourself or start dealing with your own thoughts i feel like nowadays in our rapid moving society it's very difficult to really calm down and to i guess um um considering your own thoughts and and personality and whatever and i really enjoy that and it gives me time to read books and stuff so so it's a so it's a welcome break right and you say you really enjoy obviously just visiting different places that you'll you'll pull over and kind of check out different sites and, and stuff like that what what are some of your favorite spots in Europe that you've uh, gotten a chance to see? Um, I guess emotionally, definitely the the German soldier cemetery and mm. Normandy. Um, I'm I'm historically I'm very interested, mm-hmm. and um, when I when I drive through when I drove through Normandy on the way to Ireland from from um, Switzerland, um, I kept passing signs that were saying, you know, here's a soldier's cemetery, here's mm-hmm. a cemetery, and whatever from from D-Day, and um, so I so I decided, okay, I've never seen one of those, um, so I want to go there and visit them, and that really emotionally touched me, and it touched me in a way that um, I decided to do a little bit of uh, research within my own family, and I found out that my grandfather was a soldier in the Wehrmacht, and um, so I started researching a little bit of my family history. No mm-hmm. worries. He was discharged as a non-conforming okay. guy. So he, okay. he was okay. <laughs> <laughs> just just wanted to point that out. Okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I actually still have his discharge here with me. Cool. Um, yeah, I still have those documents from, from back in the days. And um, so I really so that really got me started um, investigating my own family's ancestry. So mm-hmm. Um, so that place was emotionally important to me because it started um, me, um, I guess, investigating these kind of things. And so that, that was definitely nice. Um, the most, uh, I guess, emotional and with that, one of the most important places that I passed sure. uh, along the way. Um, the toughest part 
was definitely going into Morocco. Um, the immigration, customs, and everything, it is just really, really tough. I mean, it's it's an Arabic country, mm-hmm. um, but they do speak French. Now, unfortunately, I don't speak French, so mm-hmm. even though they speak a European language, I couldn't communicate with them, and that makes it really, really tough. Hmm. It's like, because um, I always just felt like, you know, we we in the European Union, it's kind of like in the States. You go, you drive from one state to another, and you don't. sometimes you don't even realize that you've just gone into another state. Mm-hmm. And it's very similar in Europe. And um, But when you go to Morocco, the police is part of the military branch. And then you have people with, like, guns and everything standing around mm-hmm. and, like, hunting dogs and stuff. It's mm. it's a different can of worms, I guess. And, yeah. Um, and I think on my, on my car insurance, whatever, I had, um, I had, like, moto written on the top. When when I when I went into the country, they wrote "moto" on top of that piece of paper, which was like my car insurance registration for the time of me being in in Morocco. And um, when I tried to get out of the country, they told me there's a big problem with that because apparently "moto" means it's a bike, but I'm driving a car. <laughs> so what they were thinking is that I that I dropped my bike there and stole this car, ah. and I'm trying to get out of the country. Wow. So I'm sitting there with all these people around me, and I'm like, "Oh no, I just want to get out." Of here. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess 30 minutes later, and my nerves melting away, I, I I was okay and I was good to go, and that was probably the most wow. um, intense um, moment I've I've so far experienced driving. Now, did did you have uh, any? people traveling with you this year i mean did your wife come with you on some of the trips or do any other other pros ever drive with you no usually when my when my wife goes with me um we we take our two kids too they're four and a half and one and a half oh okay great um so um but you i I don't know do you have kids no no i don't not yet Okay. Um, all the people that are listening that have little kids know (laughs) that as soon as you exceed two or three hours in the car with kids it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> so I would I wouldn't I wouldn't really take him on the trips. Gotcha. Um, but I do every but when I when I do when I do go to the tournaments I usually get a lot of questions and, and comments from the players and, and the caddies. Right. But it's always quite interesting that on Friday night or Sunday at the latest, everybody comes to me and it's like, dude, are you passing this town on the way? I kinda <laughs> need to get there or you know, That's my great. flight got canceled. Can you take right. me, or can you take my luggage, or whatever? Right. So it's so at the beginning, I get a lot of I get a lot of, um, I guess the Brits call it banter, but mm-hmm. at the end, um, I'm the guy smiling. So that's so that's always kind of enjoyable. Gotcha. gotcha. Now I just got to ask, what what kind of car do you drive, and what's it like inside? Do you keep a neat car, or is it is it does it look like you kind of live in there? Oh, I'm the I'm the stereotype German. <laughs> Everything is organized. Okay. Everything has its place. <laughs> right. And it's almost like I have a checklist. Is my pen in the right spot at the right angle? Yes. Okay. Check. Right. And so so it is very neat. Um, I try to keep clean as good as I can. Yeah. And it's a white BMW 320 diesel Touring. Okay. Very good. And it's quite a comfy car. It's big enough for two people with luggage and golf bags and everything. So it's perfect if I ever have to take somebody along the road. Right. And uh, I know you like thinking a lot while you're, while you're in the car, but do you listen to music? And if so, is it are you listen to CDs or, or radio or, or what? 
Um, radio. Okay. It's a uh, it's a mix of everything. Mix I of like everything. to listen to a lot of things. The thing is, my my music taste depends on my mood. Okay. So sometimes I listen I listen <laughs> to Pachelbel's Canon. Okay. Like a little classical piece, right, and I right. would listen to good old. Uh, Little Wayne, for example, <laughs> okay. or I guess three years of South Carolina kind of leave some Garth Brooks and Kenny Chesney in, okay. in, in, in your heart. So right, I've got right. that up there, too. And um, so a lot of different things. Right. Um, lately, I've been trying to learn a little bit of Spanish. So I've got a lot of like Spanish CDs in my in my car. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been working out, uh, out OK, um, I guess, from from Spanish and German and English that I know. Mm hmm. Um, French isn't really that far. I can, um, I can talk a little bit of French then too. So it's 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 really cool when you start reaping the fruits yeah. from from that little bit of work that you do along the road. Yeah. So wow, very productive. And I just, I, you know, what I asked you about, obviously coming to the U.S. You you tr- at this point you would try to work out a boat situation. Could you see yourself trying the flying thing again at least maybe in a small spurt like you said as a as a test or or is that something that you think you'll never do again um the thing is i cannot predict the future so i'm not gonna uh, categorically say no to this um the thing is that i'm gonna change though i'm taking out the must out of the situation that means a lot of people have approached me now saying that okay now you have a full card you must fly again you must do this and that you must do that and i'm like no, I'm going to do this at, on my own terms. When I feel like the time is right to do a therapy again, I'll do mm-hmm. it. Yeah, sure. Um, but until then, I'm going to go the way I, I, I like to go. Good for you, man. And seriously, congratulations. You are doing an incredible job, obviously. It's a, an amazing story. And uh, we will be rooting for you to, to keep <laughs> to keep getting proving all the doubters wrong even more and more. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Florian, for coming on. And uh, look, we'll look for your name even more and more. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see you in the States one day. Definitely. Thank you very much, Alex. And maybe you can pick me up from the New York Harbor then. Uh, sounds good. You let me know when you're coming. I'll, I'll, I'll come get you. <laughs> I will. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Florian. Right. Take care. Sure. Right, bye. Bye-bye, Alex. Thanks again to Florian for his time. And thank you for listening. If you haven't done so already, please go to iTunes and subscribe to us. And come back next week to see where our guest is.